This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the AND Campaign. Uh, Justin, you know, I think the only thing more predictable about how I'm going to open up this episode uh, than talking about the Buffalo Bills would be the predictability of the Buffalo Bills winning. I mean, 2-0, baby, it's it's looking good. But uh, how, was, how was your weekend? I know Atlanta had a heartbreaker of a... Uh, of a defeat i don't know if you were able to catch that game but uh i i, I couldn't couldn't believe what happened at the end there there they oh people played football this weekend i i, I don't remember <laughs> i erased my memory uh from from, yeah, right. from from this weekend so i don't i don't want to talk about it man i it's too hurtful man i, okay, I don't want let, to let's talk, about anthony, let's talk about anthony davis <laughs> knocking down that three <laughs> my goodness. i don't remember that either <laughs> Oh. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. I mean, I think <laughs> I mean I think there's a lot from uh this weekend folks uh, want to forget um <laughs> I mean it, it was for those of us who are you know watch watch politics and understand and and think about sort of what could put additional strain on our politics um and I don't want to I don't want to make. I mean, let's let's start this way. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a legend of the law, a towering figure in the last fifty years of plus of legal of the history of American law. She passed last week at the age of eighty-seven. Uh, she had been. Uh, she was. Uh, the second woman appointed to the Supreme, uh, uh, second woman to serve on the Supreme Court. Uh, she served a central role as the leading liberal progressive voice on the court for her last decade at least. She wrote opinions that, whether she was in the dissent or the, or the majority, that were incisive and that uh, influenced a generation of lawyers and and judges who would follow her and so you know first one i think it's it's understandable why you know i and and other people are moving to the politics because this is all going to move so fast and we'll talk about that um but i i also think it's right to just acknowledge uh justice ginsburg's incredible legacy and so justin what 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 did you um uh you know when this when this news came i think on on friday night uh what what were you thinking about and 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 what do you think about uh what what justice ginsburg was able to accomplish in her life yeah um so 
yeah, when I first heard about this, my first thought honestly was like, you know, 2020 just isn't through with us yet. Uh, it's not letting yeah. go. I saw I saw a meme where someone's excited about like the last second left in this on December 31st. And then, then <laughs> you know, when the time ran out, it was like it was December 32nd. Right. Because 2020 <laughs> just wouldn't let go. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. And that's kind of how this feels. Just something else to add to everything else that was going on. But let me say this. Um, definitely. You know, prayers to her family, uh, condolences to her family and friends. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a legal giant. Uh, there is absolutely no way of uh, denying that. Uh, she founded the ACLU's Women's Rights Project in 1972. She won five landmark women's rights Supreme Court cases. Five. You know, as an attorney, I can tell you it's it's probably every attorney's or at least every litigator's dream to argue in front of the Supreme Court, let alone right. win five landmark cases. I mean, that's huge. She basically established the principle of equal treatment under under the law for women. If that's not a huge accomplishment, I don't know what is. And, a, and an accomplishment that you hope that everyone you write across the board could appreciate. Um you know, she strongly fought for equal pay for women. She strongly fought for voter rights and affirmative action. Uh, and, and while we know that, you know, she um, was a proponent of a staunch proponent of, you know, the pro-choice position. It's interesting to see that, you know, she actually did have some uh, criticisms of Roe versus Wade and thought that it may have actually provoked more conflict than it resolved things. Not to say she was against uh, the opportunity for women to have an abortion, but she did have some some critiques of, of that case. And yeah. you, you just don't hear that. Uh, so. So, yeah, we, we lost a, a titan uh, when it comes to jurisprudence. And uh, I hope everybody can realize that, even though, you know, we may have some things that we disagreed uh, with her on. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, the, the, the court's been at a place um, of such. Um, significance uh, and especially the balance of the court has been at a place of such significance that this, this really has significant effects on how people will view the courts. And we'll talk about the fallout later, but I think a a point I want to make before that is, you know, part of the reason why this is so significant is not just that justice Ginsburg was a seat on the bench, but because her voice had so much power, because her voice had so much sway, even among uh, among some of the conservative jurists on the court, um, it, it's been inspiring to see the, the the statements come out from each individual justice on the court that served with her, Justice Scal- Scalia, who of course has passed, but his son has written about uh, how much his father cared for Justice Ginsburg. And then to see the the love and appreciation for those on the court. Uh, I've seen people who law clerks and folks who have done, just been able to cross paths with her have been putting out tributes. Uh, And yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just moving. And I think the the political significance of this is compounded by what an incredible person she was. That's that's the I, I think the point the point I'm 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 uh, 
I'm I'm trying to make here before we get into the the the, the brass tacks of of what's gonna what's gonna ensue, uh, Justin. Before we before we move to sort of the the presidential race, whether a, a appointment will be named for her, which seems like it will be the case, but whether that uh, whether that nominee will be confirmed, is is there anything you 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 want to say uh, about just the the state of the court currently and 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 Justice Ginsburg's role on it? Yeah, I mean, well, as you said, you know, the the balance of the court kind of uh, is is at um, is an issue right now. And that's what everyone's paying attention to. Um, who will replace one of the, you know, um, biggest names when it comes to kind of liberal jurisprudence that we've had um, in a long time. Uh, and so it's a big deal. Uh, I just hope that everybody can appreciate her uh, right now for the things that, you know, she was able to, to accomplish um, that I think helped everybody, uh, even if we have those things that we disagree uh, with, which I don't think we have to be necessarily quiet about either. Yeah. Uh, I guess, but before we go to the fallout, I, I think it would be helpful, uh, to talk about sort of how, how we got here. So if, if the, if the balance of the court is so sensitive, you know, what's some of the recent history there mm-hmm. now, because we've done this podcast for, gosh, I think, I think we're coming up on a few years, maybe even more now. We've talked about this a bit in the past, but it, it's been a while. Um, you know, people start this sort of modern history of the politicization of the court uh, at a point which is most beneficial for their for their side, right? So if you if you talk to Republicans, they'll say, "Oh, everything was cool until." We until Robert Bork. So Bork was a nominee of H.W. Bush, and uh, his nomination was vehemently opposed by Democrats and outside groups to the extent where they were actually able to to tank his uh, his his nomination. That was uh, almost three decades ago, and that's like a. That's a critical. That's a critical milestone. If if you view things in in one way, that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, to to move it up to a, being a little bit more uh, uh, modern it, it, during the Bush years, there was a an increase in justices who were filibustered and sort of difficulties getting getting folks on the court from Republicans perspective so that when the same tactics were used in the Obama years, the democratic Senate actually uh, repealed the ability to use the filibuster against lower court nominees. And they would say this because Republicans accelerated uh, things by abusing the filibuster so that a democratic president with a democratic Senate couldn't put their, their own couldn't uh, confirm justices to the court so that we have a huge backlog and we have all these open, open uh, uh, seats around the country. Of course, Republicans say <laughs> that the, the abuse was removing the filibuster, uh, 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 which then was applied to the Supreme court. Um, and then of course, like the major, uh, most recent um, sort of break with norm or sort of acceleration of 
sort of procedural tactics to maximize power was what happened towards the end of the Obama administration, which is that with less than a year out from an election, a Justice Scalia uh, passed and uh, Barack Obama nominated, put forward Merrick Garland as his nominee, uh, which was an acknowledgement of the unique circumstances of that, the fact that there would be an election, the fact that he was a uh, a, a, a a lame duck president at that point. And uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, who was then and is now the majority leader in the Senate, would not even allow Merrick Garland to testify in front of the Judiciary Committee, would not allow a vote on the President of the United States nomination under the idea that presidents in the final in the final year of a term should not be able to appoint a justice which brings us to to this justice ginsburg has passed at a much later uh much closer to the election than scalia mitch mcconnell is saying that this is different because unlike four years ago the same party controls the white house and the senate which is a kind of loophole distinction that the very least he wasn't clear about uh, four years ago. Um, and obviously Democrats view president Trump's stated desire uh, to, to name his nominee to the bench and try and move this thing along either before the election or to do it in the lame duck session in November or December. They view this as an insult as hypocrisy and are threatening all kinds of responses should the Republicans go through with naming a third justice to the court under President Trump. Just I did did my best to sort of lay out um, some, some of the history here. Are there significant pieces that you think uh, I've missed and certainly want to talk about? I, I tried to be as objective as possible. Uh, you know, I, I have, as I'm sure you have, opinions on which of those sort of markers were most significant, interested to hear your thoughts on how we've gotten to this point where we know if a seat opens up, there are going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars spent to try and defame whoever the nominee is. We know that there's going to be procedural tactics to um, try to work with the other party the least amount possible. Um, so so what, what do you make of this recent history of Supreme Court politics? Yeah, I, and I I think you covered it well. Number one, um, I would I would say this, just picking up um, part of it. I said from the beginning. I said the first time that we talked about that this on this on on the uh, church politics podcast that what happened to Merrick Garland was trash. Right, the people voted President Obama in into office for a four, four year term, not for three years or whatever or, or whatever you know uh, yes. it was. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just unfortunate. I, I want, I want to kind of go over some of the statements made in 2016 when they were talking about Merrick Garland from Republicans. And some of these statements were put on PBS, but I want to, I want to go over what they were saying at that time. So this is 2016 and they're saying why, why they won't put the Merrick Garland nomination to a vote. This is Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas. In a few short months, uh, we will have a new president and new senators who can consider the next justice with the full faith of the people. Why would we cut off the national debate 
on the next justice? Why would we squelch the voice of the populace? Uh, Now we have Senator Mitch McConnell. The American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. As you pointed out, he said nothing about who was in the House or the Senate or who controlled it. Now you have Lindsey Graham. I strongly support giving the American people a voice in choosing the next Supreme Court nominee by electing a new president. I hope all Americans understand how important their vote is when it comes to picking a new Supreme Court justice. The American people should choose wisely this November. So in those three cases, and these aren't the only three that spoke on it, in those three cases, this was presented as a matter of democratic principle, right? It was a matter of the the voices of the people being heard, which you could have easily just argued that the voices of people of the people were heard because who they elected for four years was making that decision. Right. But, but this is the way that they present presented it, right? Let the people choose, right? It's the end of four years. And so it's now their time, time to choose. And I want to be clear with people because the issue here isn't that Senate Republicans are doing something unconstitutional. Uh, They're not breaking any written rule, but they are acting in bad faith. And especially, you know, some of the folks that I that I just uh, quoted, uh, they are breaking a standard if they're if they're to do this. They haven't done it yet, but they will be breaking a standard that they set and that they vigorously, almost emotionally defended at the time. Uh, They gave their word and they expected uh, Americans to trust it. They urged Americans to trust their word. And now they are breaking their word. Uh, probably in the most partisan and power obsessed way possible. And I fear that, you know, we're all going to pay for it to some extent. So, so yes, they can push uh, a Supreme court justice through, but they can't do it with integrity uh, or in an upstanding manner. Uh, If it wasn't about some democratic principle, when Merrick Garland was nominated, then they should have just said it wasn't right. And then you wouldn't see this hypocrisy to say, Hey, we're in control. We're going to do what we want to do. But instead, they put it on some type of democratic democratic principle, which wasn't really there. Look, I'll just kind of end with this. You know, there's laws which are important. And then there are understandings and informal agreements in between in between that that make democracy run. Right. Things that we just trust that someone's going to do or not going to do based on their word. Uh, Mm. And we're getting to a place where all we have is laws and no kind of mutual understandings, if that. And so it's sad to see, you know, in in one way, uh, we're seeing the death of the statesman. Uh, And there's a few people, you know, on this list that this may be their 500 death. I don't know. I've lost count. But you're seeing folks (laughs) die as statesmen over and over again because it's all about the party. My big issue isn't that the Republicans are going to get to choose. Uh, If that's the way that it ended up, that's just the way that it ended up. But it's what yeah. does it do to our discourse? Right. So this isn't for me. It's not even a partisan thing. And I'll explain that later in the in the fallout part of this conversation. It's about what does this do to our discourse when people are being are working in bad faith and really just being dishonest? I, I, I think that's spot on. Let's uh, let's let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, the path forward from here. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
This is the Church Politics Podcast. We're back, and uh, we talked about some of the history. We talked about Justice Ginsburg's uh, a legacy. Uh, the next uh, six weeks, and potentially you know ten weeks or so, depending on what kind of timeline they try and run this on, is just going to move so quickly. And so we, we need to move quickly and sort of assessing the situation. Uh, here's what we know. President Trump has indicated indicated within 24 hours, really within 6, 12 hours of the news breaking that he was going to move forward with naming a nominee to the bench. Senator McConnell, within about the same time frame, announced that, that he would consider Trump's nominee. Uh, and while there are efforts to pressure, uh, it would take four Republicans prior to the election to uh, to uh, to prevent uh, a confirmation of a Trump nominee, potentially three. There's been some question about if uh, if Mark Kelly wins in Arizona, if he'd be seated earlier than January. Those are open questions. But I would just advise people to not put too much hope in four Republicans just saying, carte blanche, this isn't right. And, uh, and and we want Joe Biden to pick the next nominee. That That's not going to happen. Uh, we could talk about various proposals for uh, how a bipartisan group can get together. What I really have reservations about is that four Republicans are going to hold strong and say, before the election or after, we're not voting to confirm any Trump nominee so that Joe Biden uh, could could nominate the next justice of the Supreme Court. That's a that's a very difficult, almost in, untenable position. Certainly, putting aside the fact that uh, that that is exactly what they proposed four years ago. But just as a political matter, it's it's uh, it's very hard to tell tell your voters that, that that's what you're going to do. Uh, and so now just, I mean, really like the biggest questions for me, I kind of assumed and still think that we're looking at, you know, Trump naming uh, a nominee, but maybe even hearings taking place before the uh, election. Uh, but my, I, I kind of just assumed that we were looking at uh, uh, mid November, late November, December, uh, you know, hearings vote, but people are still talking about the possibility that maybe they try and move this so quickly that there are hearings, which by the way, would include, you know, Senator Kamala Harris serves on the judiciary committee. So we would have within weeks of an election, Senator Harris questioning Trump's Supreme court nominee, uh, uh, on, you know, on a, on a pretty significant stage. Um, uh, uh, or, you know, Trump will name the nominee, senators will do their due diligence and <laughs> their their research, although I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of earnest consideration of this, uh, of whoever the nominee's record is, uh, and then they could potentially move to a lame duck session. There's political fallout from this. Let's talk first about sort of the, just about the Supreme Court. Do you think Trump is going to get a nominee onto the Supreme Court do you think he should really in either of those scenarios? How do you think Democrats should should react to what we what we see Trump uh, is going to do, which is to at least put a nominee forward? 
Yeah, as I said earlier, I don't think that he should. Um, and I'll and I'll be honest with you, Michael. I, I don't want a court that's tilted too far to the left or too far to the right. And I've said that before on this yeah. podcast. Uh, and it's not because, again, I'm some divinely ordained political centrist, as we talked about last week. Uh, it's because <laughs> I care about issues like voters' rights. I care about affirmative right. action. I care about anti-discrimination laws, which many conservative jurists don't have a strong record on. Uh, but I also care about issues like sanctity of life uh, and religious freedom, which most progressive jurists don't have a strong record on. And, wh- and why, you know, although, I, as I said before, I have a lot of respect for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she wasn't my favorite um, justice because of that. Yeah. Right. I prefer right. justices like Elena Kagan. Um, Chief yeah. Justice John Roberts and what he's become, right? I don't know that any, everybody expected right. him to become this, but that's kind of what he's become. Uh, I feel like they give every case a thoughtful review and aren't always predictably going to fall on one side or the other. And I can respect that. You know, as, again, as an attorney, that's just the type of uh, jurisprudence that I appreciate. I don't really want more folks on the extreme. Right. So you have your no Justice Clarence Thomas. You have your uh, Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor. I respect them, but I think they're way too extreme when it comes to the ideological things. I I feel like a computer could almost predict. And and this is I don't mean to say this disrespectfully, but a computer could almost predict where they're going to stand on every case. And I just don't think that's the Mm -hmm. best way to go about jurisprudence. Um, yeah. and I, I just don't want more of that. And so that's why this is a big decision to me. Um, I don't think he should do it because of the history that we just named. Um, right. I'm worried right, about right. what's going to happen because of the balance of the court and what that means on some really, really important issues, again, like voter rights and the sanctity of life. Just like I think Trump's extremes gave voice and credence to extre- extremists on the left or the kind of the extreme folks on the left got louder and kind of gave them credence. I think this flip flop again on behalf of Senate Republicans could make, could do the same thing, right? Could make the left more extreme and give those voices more, more, uh, more time. You know, it's already giving rise to calls for court packing. Uh, And just so everybody knows what that is, this is where in this case, Democrats, if they win the Senate, would kind of water down the power of the conservatives on the bench by adding more justices to the Supreme Court. Um, and this came from my understanding is that this came from in 1937, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt was pushing legislation that would expand the Supreme Court from nine justices to 15 justices. But he was doing it for a different reason. Uh, he was doing it because right. it was uh, he was doing it kind of as a threat uh, to get some of the older justices, those who are over 70, to step down. So it was a little different. I disagree with what he was trying to do. I, I disagree with this because I think it has something to say about the integrity of that branch of government and the su- Supreme Court. Are we going to play with it like that just because we didn't get who we want? Right. I think yeah. those things should be yeah. firm. I think those should, things should be unchanged. The filibusters is something else. I don't have as strong of a feeling about that. But we're also talking about, you know, Democrats are talking about getting rid of the filibuster uh, if they win the Senate. This could mean that a simple majority in the Senate really couldn't couldn't be stopped on a, on a lot of things. Right now, you need 60 votes to end a debate on an issue. Right. That's called cloture, um, which means that the minority party can prevent a vote on an issue by just continually debating it 
if the majority party doesn't have 60 senators without the without the filibuster cloture comes at 51 votes um it changes everything and this is something that i think is more likely because obama even mentioned it at john lewis's funeral right it's it's not something that's just on the extremes there are some serious people talking about it and 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 the issue that you know folks are going to bring up is the senate can't get anything done because of the filibuster and I agree that the Senate can't get anything done. I would prefer to see a different way of them to get something done, right? I would f- prefer them finding ways to work together rather than kind of changing those rules because I really don't trust either side to kind of be able to run the table and, and not and not go too far. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's where I stand on those two. But let me give a word of warning for Democrats here too um, because – if Trump nominates someone like Amy Coney uh, Barrett, uh, their criticism better not the criticism of the Democrats better not focus on her religious beliefs. Uh, she is an Orthodox Catholic uh, during her hearing for the Court of Appeals. I think Democrats went too far. And, and I believe we spoke about that on this uh, podcast as well. You had senators like Dick Durbin. He asked her if she considered herself an Orthodox Catholic uh, as if that was a bad thing. Um, Diane Feinstein um, told her that when you read your speeches, the conclusions one draws is that the dogma lives loudly uh, within you. Uh, and that's a concern. So in other words, you really believe the Bible and uh, that's a problem. Um, we should, you know, I think we should all be striving for somebody to tell us that that our faith is clear in our work. Uh, but we have to be very I think I think we have to be very careful when we have senators from either party making statements like that. We've already discussed how uh, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, Kamala Harris uh, has said uh, some inappropriate things about Orthodox Christian beliefs when it comes to these judges. Uh, And so I hope that she's number one. uh, She addresses that on the campaign trail. But if Democrats want some problems, uh, if they if they take that posture and it's really a posture that some progressive commentators are taking already then this could cause some big trouble. And I don't know that they can, um, you know, that they can avoid it. I don't, I don't know if the, if the discipline is there or the thought is there to, to avoid that kind of outcome. So we'll see. This is a man, a very important moment for, uh, for this country, uh, for our, for our system and for the discourse. And so I hope that we find some state statesmen, statesmen that, you know, can really uh, speak into this moment and, and make the right decision. Yeah, Justin. Um, so I, I agree. So, right. My, my problem here is more to do like, like I, I just don't think the argument that Republicans, as, as you've alluded to, I just don't think the argument that Republicans made in 2016 was appropriate. So, you know, I, I think Barack Obama should have been appointing uh, and, and his nominee should have received a fair hearing by the Senate in 2016. It is the fact that Republicans made such a a self-interested, really insincere argument in 2016 that that now to not hold up to that argument in 2020 will so significantly undermine whatever remaining confidence there is in the Supreme court and our judicial branch, um, that it's, it's something to very seriously consider, but you know, without that history, I'm kind of of the same mind as, is what I hear you saying, which is like presidents are elected for, for four years. I mean, I think there could be a, uh, 
a consideration for the fact that it is uh, a difficult situation to be nominating someone to serve a lifetime appointment when you might only have a few months left in office. But, you know, the, the alternative is sort of like I am sympathetic to the idea that, you know, Republicans today control the White House and the Senate and like Democrats aren't the argument isn't for some kind of compromise. The argument isn't for uh, Democrats aren't offering this sort of s- something, uh, which I understand because of what happened with Merrick Garland. Uh, but uh, I think Democrats should get over it and understand understand that we can continue to plumb the depths and find out how low we can go. Uh, or some, like you said, some statesmen can and stateswomen can step up and say, you know what, we need to, we need to pump the brakes a little bit because I do think it's just again it's untenable to to say that Republicans are just going to say, well, we said this in in uh, in in 2016, and so that means that uh, we're going to leave this appointment to Joe Biden and potentially a Democratic Senate to run through without any Republican consultation, uh, even though we have every right constitutionally to make this appointment now. So yeah, I agree with with your assessment of that situation. I am really uh, earnestly praying for uh, leadership in the Senate to step up to the plate and find a way through this that doesn't uh, drive another 30 years of nihilistic judicial politics uh, in uh, in presidential politics and, and in congressional politics. The other thing I want to say, uh, and this is really the last thing I I have to say on this subject. You brought up Amy Coney Barrett, and I thought your your comments were were spot on. I, I I just can't be clear enough. So so the phrase "Kingdom of God" is trending on Twitter right now, and we have folks who are trying to delegitimize someone not for any opinion she's made, not even by some sort of incisive, narrow critique of the specific religious community of which she's a, she's a, she's a part and, and something about that distinguishes sort of her view of faith from a basic Orthodox view of faith. We, we have right now a campaign of folks trying to use people's religious illiteracy against them by treating a phrase like the kingdom of God, like, uh, like just the use of it alone should make one impermissible for public office. And I just, I see, I see, and we talk about this on the show uh, pretty often. I see Christians with, with platforms finding ways to navigate around the, the situation. So while she talked about building the kingdom of God, I don't think that's theologically accurate. We don't really build the kingdom of God. We can, be a part of the kingdom of God. We could serve the kingdom of God, but she said building, and that makes me uncomfortable. That's not what my denomination teaches, the the use of the word building. And so I really, you know, she was wrong there. Look, we we talk on this show about what it means for faithfulness to be more important than than the W, than the win. Uh, Let me just say this. I will, you will have to dig a hole for me in the ground uh, if I am going to allow <laughs> some sort of political battle, as important as it is, 
to be uh, used to defame and to uh, sort of delegitimize and to make a dirty phrase, the kingdom of God that Jesus is overseeing right now and is bringing to pass. Like that is, this is the gospel, friends. And so if 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 we think we're going to get through this thing and, well, it's a really important Supreme Court seat. I don't want to like mess up the narrative of my side by pointing out that every pastor in every pulpit, so many of the red letters for all the lead, red letter Christians out there, uh, uh, kingdom of the heavens, kingdom of God is is all through the red letters. Like this is not something that we can just accept. And so this is an important battle. Republicans are being hypocritical. They're being nihilistic. Um, if Amy Coney Barrett is the nominee, uh, and if Democrats or progressives or columnists, whatever, think that they can trash this nominee, again, not by some incisive critique, but by scaring people about religious language that that just can't be avoided in in the Bible. Like it just it just can't be. There's no way to attack the concept of king of the kingdom of God without attack without uh, making it impermissible for Christians generally to be a part of public life. Like that is something we ought to be able to stand up against. Like like I I, I just I will not have patience <laughs> for for Christians who are silent or are sort of weak need about this. I don't want to hear about. Amy Coney Barrett didn't use the right verb. And so I'm not, no, this is something worth putting something on the line for. And you could do that without saying she needs to be the next Supreme Court justice. You could do that without saying, you know, Trump is some hero for nominating her. Um, But, but let's, let's not get it twisted. This is a significant debate. If uh, progressives want to win it, they're going to have to do it on other terms than sort of making her, uh, uh, her religious commitments out to be something that makes her inherently uh, disqualified from the job because not only is that a constitutional infringement, but I just, I, I, I won't, I, I don't care if a presidential election is six weeks away. Uh, it, it, that's not going to happen with me uh, being silent. I know you feel the same way. Um, but it, it, it's just important that, that folks don't equivocate on this. This is this is just central, central gospel talk. Yeah, no, that's real, man. I, y'all done got Michael fired up. I like it. Um, <laughs> and that's I mean, that's a, an and campaign stance. Right. People know that we don't go out looking for smoke like we don't think we're heroes because we go out talking about we want to smoke. But we're not going to run from serious issues like this either, ever. And so I'll say this. There's no political victory. That'll make me refuse to call out people for criticizing somebody for because of their religion in this way in politics. There's no political victory. There's nothing that anybody in this space can give me to make me not say something about the fact that we're criticizing people because of their religious beliefs. And I'll say this for all the people that have no idea how all these other folks can't say anything about Trump or why they refuse to say anything about Trump. If you're a progressive and you're a Christian. And you let these folks come at her because of her religion. I don't care if you agree with anything that she has to say as far as her uh, her opinions. If you if you refuse to say something about that while they're tearing her down because of her religious opinions, then you know exactly why those people don't say anything about Trump because you're guilty of the same thing. Yeah. You know exactly why they do it and why they don't do it, because you want to protect 
your narrative on your side. So next time you're wondering, next time you're with your group of friends and just talking about how bad those other folks are, realize if you're unwilling to say something about this, then you get it. You just get it on the other side for a different reason. Um, and so, man, I, I think I think you're hitting on the head, man. We'll, we'll go to the next break and, and then uh, uh, get out of here shortly. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And just a quick segment to wrap up the the show. We wanted to talk about uh, at the end of August, U.S. Marshals uh, found and and rescued 39 missing children in uh, Georgia that were um, uh, endangered. Uh, There were all kinds of charges associated with this operation that rescued 26 children, safe location of uh, 13 others. Uh, there were sex trafficking charges. There was parental kidnapping, registered sex offender violations, drugs, weapons, uh, possession, custodial interference. U.S. Marshals uh, were, were on the case. Obviously, fact that these children were, were, were rescued, were identified is something to praise God for, something to be grateful for uh, U.S. Marshals and for the law enforcement that that uh, executed uh, on this operation. Uh, uh, Justin, this is in in your neck of the woods. So, and I know this was uh, this was meaningful to you. I, I, the only comment you know I, I have is just you know it, it also makes me think how easily these these children could have been forgotten, and how many children are forgotten you know every day. And I'm so glad that that these these kids were were rescued. You know, we we just know that there are so many who go unnoticed and are uh, uh, abused and taken advantage of. That, that there will be no no justice. There will be no no exertion on their behalf. Um, and so this is a wonderful story. Um, but but it did make me make me. Uh, make me think too about the operations that, that aren't able to be executed about the children who aren't identified. You, you sent this over and again, this is in your back of the woods. And so, yeah, I would love to hear what you have to say on it. Yeah. I thought it was one of those stories and I don't have any, you know, I thought it was one of those stories that just didn't get enough attention. Um, I don't have any conspiracy theory as to why I just thought it should get more attention. And so I wanted to bring it up on our platform as our platform grows. Listen, folks, there is almost, there's believed to be, over 400,000 children missing in it in uh, America. Um, and they should never be forgotten. Uh, for anyone who is struggling to believe that there is evil and evil is real, this is a clear example that evil is real. Out of these, you know, after, out of this group of, of children, several were being sexually abused and sex trafficked. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. And so when the AND campaign talks about civility and we, we talk about, uh, not being petty. And when we talk about not going along with the mob mentality, it's because we want to have time to address things like this, right? Yes. Because we don't want okay, to, we don't want the discourse to be so bad that we can't address the real issues. Now you may get something off your chest. It may make you feel a certain way to be extreme. And that, that tells you that you really care about something. 
well, I care about these issues. And I think the more that we are able to work together, the more that we are introspective and able to self-examine ourselves and our tribe, the more we can focus on the folks who have no voice. Um, and so that's why I wanted to bring this up, man. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. But thank God for those, you know, U.S. Marshals that found these children. Uh, I'll be yeah. praying for these children, um, hoping they un- overcome whatever trauma they may have. This is why we should be in politics. This is why we should care, because these children have dignity and we should do everything in our power not to let our egos, our partisanship or anything else get in the way of things like that. And that's really my statement yeah. on the matter. Amen. No, I think that's a great way to 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 end the episode. Want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, would ask, you know, we've been so excited to see the growth of of the audience in this community uh, over the last several months. And and so just thank you. Um, you know, would ask you to leave a review on on iTunes so that folks can know what you think of the show. Um, but but really, we're, we're just grateful. Um, that you're you're spending your time, which is precious, uh, with us, especially in this political moment. And we hope we uh, we hope we use your your time well. Just any any closing words before we sign off? As always, Ann Kemp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and who, who won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ and camp. Until next time. Have a blessed week. Thank you. This is the groove. Tell me, can I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.